Plus, the podcast roars dangerously close to hitting episode 200. Um, that's a, a, an issue in itself. I'm going to have to work out what I want to do with episode 200 and then what to do with the podcast beyond that, because that is a lot of episodes. That's a bridge we'll cross when we come to it. Today, we have such a wonderful opportunity to speak with a photographer that is just so iconic and I'm such a, an enormous fan. I'm going to do my best to not be completely overwhelmed the entire way through this interview, although I'm not making any promises. As we do with all of these, before we get started with uh, sort of getting into the details of things, your work and, and your subjects and so on, let's start off with why you picked up a camera in the first place and, and what was it that made you want to become a photographer? Um, you know, I come from a family that is, um, my mom and dad met on art school. So if you don't do anything artistic in my family, you weren't really invited for the Christmas party in a certain <laughs> way. And, and I was, I just couldn't really draw. My sister is really good with this. And, um, and sometimes she was even correcting my drawings when I was younger. And it, you know, it was obviously, I, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't really find an identity with it. I don't really know how I got into photography because it was actually really early. I picked it up. I think I was around 10 or 11 and and uh, I, I was literally starting with every cliche in the book, you know, doing the doing the prints in my mother's bathroom and, and every soap and every shampoo smelled like developer and everybody got mad <laughs> at me. And and I didn't know how to remove the red filters. So all my pictures came out white because I didn't know that you have to take that <laughs> thing off. So, I mean, you could really say I started at the bottom and I probably done the worst prints anyone ever seen in the sense that there was nothing on it. And, and, but the real, it, it was definitely something that, that, you know, how, when you're in high school or when you're younger, you know, all the kids are sort of like inclined to really do anything, you know, some are really into sports and, mm. you know, some of them are really into whatever horse riding or, you know, already in the math club. And, and I was already really into photography, you know, every, every school project that was sort of around, um, Art was the only thing I was good at in school. And I think it's also because I have a very hard time putting my energy into something that I'm not interested in. And, and it really breaks you in school because you have to you know, pay attention to so many different aspects. And, and maybe they turn into something interesting, but I couldn't get myself to do it. <laughs> so I was always very focused on photography. And because few things can really hold my attention. I got actually thrown out of school at a pretty, at, as a teenager. I was, I think I was about 16. They, they asked me to leave, <laughs> to put it in nice terms. So I was a bit of a troubled kid. I was on the street and the family didn't know what to do with me. And um, the, the story goes that um, you, to go to art school, uh, which obviously was kind of a, uh, an institution in my family because this is, you know, where my parents met and my sister was in art school, but I didn't have a degree. Uh, since I didn't finish school, I couldn't really join because they only take people with a degree. Now they did have something is kind of like a special talent clause, right. um, meaning that, you know, to go to art school in the town where I was or Germany, you have to score like 50 points. Right. And they said, if you score a hundred, they take you anyway, even without a degree or okay. without a diploma. So my mom said, you need to try this because, you know, you need to get off the street. And, and I did, and I got 99 oh. and I, so they didn't take me. 
So my mom was really worried. And because I was also hanging, you know, I was like 16. I wanted to be a gangster. I was hanging out with the wrong people. (laughs) (laughs) Being a gangster, meaning that I was like stealing, you know, pretzels and pizza, you know, that was as hard as it got. And um, so my mom went to the principal and she says, why are you doing this? You know, why do you, I mean, that's, that's like, that's personal. Why, Why are you? depriving him of this one point it cannot be about that plus you take all the others with 50 and the guy said um to my mom look i mean there's obviously a point to this because we think he's too young because everybody else finished school they're in their early 20s and and you know your son is 16 we think he doesn't fit in yet and we think for one or two years at least he should do an intern do something that he's passionate about and we, we clearly give him the signal, you're good enough, come back. But we don't have any 16-year-olds in our school. It just didn't happen. And we think it's going to create a problem. Right. And that kind of like made sense. And I happen to know uh, um, some, some girl I knew was the girlfriend of a photographer. And somehow she got me to be his assistant. Now, I didn't know anything. You know, I didn't know a camera from a vacuum cleaner really in, on a professional level. And, uh, and, uh, um, but, you know, I worked with this guy for a first day and he was nice. And, uh, and I, you know, um, tell you the truth at the end of the day, he drove me to the subway and he says, look, you can come back tomorrow. And I, before I got out of the car, I looked at him and I thought, look, the guy got a girlfriend, he's got a car, he's got a job. And he was like 26, 27. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a photographer. You know, this sounds like a, it seems to be a good life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and since I got out of that car, I never changed my mind. You know, it was just, there was just a road I took. And um, eventually um, the guy fired me after like a couple of months, but I, he teach me the basics. He, he teach me how to use a Mamiya um, RZ, which is still the camera actually I'm using today. So I never changed on that. And, um, and then the guys, then I did a couple of other small assistant jobs. And eventually the guys from art school um, asked me to come back and to do another test. But somehow I wanted to go to New York and become a photo assistant. And then I was like, you know, kind of like, you know, between 17, 18 back then. And, and I was really lucky because my mom says, okay, look, I, I, I get you a thousand dollars. That's all I got. And, um, go for it, you know, and, and I think like 300 or something of the money went for the ticket and the rest went to the YMCA on 34th street. <laughs> and I went to New York and work as an assistant and that how things sort of like started rolling, you know, and I was like, I think I was 18. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that comes up quite often with this, and I, I think it's a really interesting kind of fork in the road for a lot of people. Um, they become a photographer and then they are deciding whether or not they want to photograph people. Mm. It seems to be quite a big thing. You get people that go into like wildlife landscape. Street photography is, you know, kind of the bridging area, I guess, because they're not really photographing people, but they are. But it seems to be that a lot of people are either afraid or very against photographing people. So what was it specifically about photographing people that drew you in? It was never a choice. I, 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 never, I never even thought that you can photograph anything else than people to tell you the truth. I don't, I mean, I think it was really later in my life that I realized you do not have to photograph people. There's actually something else. It was like I was raised on Italian food and I didn't think there would be anything <laughs> beyond that. And, 
I have to tell you, when I was really like when I, when this whole thing happened, this whole process, there was I had one book my dad gave to me, um, which was uh, Time Life, Best of Time Life, and it was a huge influence on me because it was kind of like Time Life, street photography. Um, you know, kind of like a random shot, but you know, there was war photography, some fashion, some celebrity, um, really good guys in there. And it had a huge impact on me. Those images became, so I think when you're younger, you're creating, um, within everything that's been given and brought to you, but your biography creates a certain mythology. Now you may be more or less not aware of it, but it, it kind of sneaks into your system you know your ideals your aesthetics and another thing that was back in the day very influential on me was um my father was very keen because he was kind of like a post-war kid um that was very idolizing american culture my father was really always watching these old black and white films right and my mom was kind of more into the french 1960s movies now i'm born 69 and somehow these films were given to me or were like explained to me as something extremely valuable cinema was always given to me as an art and i think you i was digesting this so for me that was always a guideline and i think if you if i look at my images today i am a little bit freaked out how how much that is still there, you know, and how little I got away from it in a certain way, you know, but I think because the cinematic influence, um, as a, as a teenager or even before was so strong, it was always about photographing people like they've been shot on film. Right. I mean, that's one of the things I love. Uh, there's the, the quote on your website, which I'll just read verbatim so that I don't put my own spin on it, but it says, uh, you don't make a photograph with just a camera. You bring to the act of photography, all the pictures you've seen, the books you have read, the music you have heard and the people that you've loved. And th this is like, I, I find this so fascinating is, is a lot of people I've spoken to through the podcast don't really talk about influence outside of photography. And I think mm -hmm. it's a really big deal. The, the, the world that you expose yourself to it has a huge influence on what you're producing, whether you like it or not, it's going to be a subconscious thing and it's going to get through. It's everything. I really think it's everything. I think photography has nothing to do with photography and with, with the pictures you take your whole life somehow finds its way into your pictures. Right. And, uh, and I think the example to use here is really the tip of the iceberg, you know, the picture the picture is just the smallest tip that peaks across uh, above the water, but everything you are, everything, there's such an unconscious um, uh, manifestation in your images that I would say you, you don't understand uh, the pictures through yourself. You understand yourself through the pictures. Right. When you look at your photographs, you're trying to question, why did I shoot this? And that's what it should be. The more you're connecting a photograph to your biography, and I really mean everything. I mean, you know, humiliations. I mean, it travels. I mean, you know, past lovers. That is what defines, you know, it, it somehow looks back at you, you know? Yeah. And I think 
you know, look, a photograph has been taken so quickly, let's say an average of 125th of a second. But in that hundred, that intuitive part, in that 125th of a second, um, it, it, it's an unconscious moment re- meeting a conscious moment. You're not really aware what you're doing in that speed. But there is something there that you feel. When I shoot, and because I still shoot analog mostly, I feel this is a good shot. That was a good click. And I got it. And most of the times I'm right. When I'm in set and you take a lot of shots and you work and you know, that was it. Mm-hmm. And then you also say, oh, fuck, that That was not really it. Something was missing, but it could have been pretty good. But it's a very intuitive process. And then I think we have to ask ourselves, where does the intuition come from? You know? I mean, you say it's intuitive, but one thing I find difficult myself, and obviously I can only speak from my own experiences, is that I seem to have a battle between my unconscious and my and and my brain trying to direct where everything's going so i'm i'm almost fighting my own intuition on things because i'm second guessing myself and thinking that things i i tend to look at my own work very externally i tend to look at it as if i'm someone else looking at my work and how would they judge it which i think is i mean i don't know but it feels like that's the completely wrong way to go about things because then you're being very sort of unnecessarily critical and you're also inhibiting your own influence a little bit well you know look i think maybe that struggle is your creativity you know maybe you have to embrace it rather than reject it because look if you i mean you know there's an interesting party because like i said for me you really understand yourself through the photography you do you don't photograph the way things are you don't look at the way things are, mm-hmm. you know, you photograph the way you are, you know, you look at the, you look at things the way you are. It's not what they are. You know, this is how you see them. You know, they could be completely different in somebody else's eyes, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at, you know, there's an interesting theory from Carl Jung, who was sort of like the counterpart to Freud in the, in the twenties, thirties, and he developed a certain personality profile. I, he was actually the one that that came up with an introverted and an extroverted personality. While I think obviously those terms really became such a part of our life right now. But what he really means that the extrovert is defining life more through what he sees for what's out there, his logic, his decisions. It's sort of based on, you know, what is in front of him. While the introvert is mainly making his decisions out of his, you know, out of his sort of like emotional insights he's he's more detached from the outside and i think these are just different personalities we have and i think yeah we can fight them and there might be a certain energy there um i work very intuitively mm-hmm. but i also really appreciate people who take a lot and if you work intuitively you don't take so much control because you're sort of just like guiding yourself through there you know like you're going through a city and you say mm, let's go here right. you know that feels right and I think if you work very, very, you know, extroverted, you just say, no, I want to go there. This looks good. I have to go to that spot. This is, this is, this is the goal, you know? Yeah. So you're more result orientated maybe to a certain point, you know, but I, I think there's no value. Both of them can be, um, can be good. And I think if you're struggling with something, I think, you know, embracing the struggle, I think most of the good people struggle, you know, yeah. and I think it's literally that struggle that made him good. I mean, I think Charles Bukowski made his whole career out of defining his own struggle with himself, you know, and he's probably not the only one. 
this is getting nice and deep and I'm definitely not of a high enough IQ probably to keep up with this, but I'm going to do my best. Was there a point really, because I think young men are quite turbulent. Young men are, they're very energetic in very different ways and they're very, I think men can have tunnel vision quite a lot of the time. They get one thing in mind, they're very focused, they tend to neglect other parts of their life and as they mature, at least I hope it's going to happen to me at some point, as they mature, they get better at kind of uh, being at peace with certain things and and uh, being a little bit more, uh, I don't think vague's the word, but being a little bit more general as opposed to being so focused on one thing. Was there, mm. a, was there a point with yourself where you became more comfortable in yourself and you became a better photographer because of it? Well, I think, you know, you, I think we, we more or less shooting the way the world we like to live in, I think. And I think that's already a certain psychological um, um, mirroring because most of us shoot the women we like to meet or we shoot the men we want to talk to or we shoot the landscapes we like to live in or at least the ones that fascinate us. I mean, you can have a repulsive attitude towards life and you you, you kind of like think it's dangerous and fascinating, or you can have a very attractive attitude towards life. You know, when you meet somebody and he's, you said, oh, you know, I'm, you know, you, you, maybe you right now, you said, yeah, you know, you know, I got this invitation, I'm going to go to China for like a weekend. Somebody's going to tell you, oh, really China? It's really dangerous. I mean, you know, it's kind of like a communist state. And somebody else may say, oh my God, that's so great. I always wanted to go there, you know? Yeah. And what's interesting is that that really depth that that's a basic door it's a basic gateway to life you will find this in a lot of things i mean corona really kind of like cleared it to the top you you find people in a very irrational situation where a virus where you can't see you know and everybody is exposed to it in the same way but you will find people that are very comfortable with it and they're like nah, don't worry about it you know you don't need to wear the mask and there's some people like oh my god excuse me can you please keep a distance you know yeah, yeah. So I think there is a basic attitude in life that is in us. And I think maybe you, you arrange yourself more with it. But I do, I do really like the energy. If, to, to be a bit more concrete about your question, um, like my photography, I wanted to be an artist in the beginning and I was so poor, I was literally picking up fruits off the street. And I realized in my mid-20s that this is just not the way to go. And I broke up with a girlfriend. And I had no money. And I really just became a fashion photographer, or what I say, a commercial photographer. There was a certain anger in it. I say, okay, you don't want me to be an artist? I was literally like looking at life and I say, okay, you want me to do this? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything you want and you're going to fucking pay me for it. <laughs> and there was a certain anger. I said, I'm going to pay my bills. I'm tired of being poor. And I did. And I was very... And I was really... I was... Um, ran over by my own success. I don't know I was ready for it. I was shooting Saint Laurent and Bottega Veneta, Mio Mio, within three years. I never really assisted on that level. I, was, I don't know if I was ready for the level I was working on to be like a world-exposed Vogue cover shooting photographer. I, was, I don't think I was ready for it, looking back today. But you've been pulled in so many directions if you've been paid money and you meet famous people and you just really, you know, when you drive a car so fast that, you know, when you make one mistake, you're going to fly off the curve. Right. And it's fun and it's adrenaline, but you're always on the edge with it. And you don't really know where you're going because you're not really enjoying the ride because you're so, um, you're so connected. You're so just busy staying in the seat, you know? And there was a moment in photography where um, 
I just, you know, I think photography is a bit like a relationship. You know, you've been, you know, if you live together in the beginning, it's the big love. And then, you know, the everyday takes over and, and you've been pulled in so many different directions. Maybe you have kids or maybe you have different problems or you change jobs. And, and one day you just don't recognize the relationship, you know, and then you either let go or I think, you know, I didn't want to let go of photography. And I said, what made me love this so much? Like one day I looked at this and I says, I'm going to do this all my life. Life is a, it's a valuable thing, man. You know, we only have one of it. Yeah. And I said, I need to go back to, like I said, like when you look at a person and you said, there was something with you that nobody else had for me. And it, and it used to be there and it's, it's about to be gone. So I went back to the photography that I really love, the influences, which is clearly also very black and white. I still shoot analog. I made a lot of commercial compromises because I knew I'm going to cut myself into a niche. But I had to admit to myself that this is what keeps me going. And it was and if you if photography is just a service, if it's just if you just do it for the money, you know, the pictures you're not really proud of, you know, you kind of like do what needs to be done and what other people tell you to do, you do it good, but you know, it's not your shot. It's commissioned work and the money is gone very quickly, you know? So not, you, it, you, you might sit there in a cafe with an empty nothing, you know? Right. So there was a time when maybe a little bit stubborn, I don't know if it was the right decision, but I just really wanted to be the photographer that made me become a photographer, you know? Mm. I mean, so this this sort of heading towards your work, this classic Hollywood lighting is something that you just, you don't see a tremendous amount of anymore, certainly not in Hollywood. Um, you said it is obviously an influence from your, your dad watching old Hollywood movies. What is it specifically about the lighting that you like what it does with subjects? I always responded to light. It's just, it's, it's my access to things. I mean, I think we all have an access. If we do, hopefully you have an access to things because like I said, it, like, let's say you really, you're really inclined in, in architecture and you go to Hong Kong and you see the buildings and the texture and, and then you go from Hong Kong to Venice couldn't be any different, but still you're interested in the architecture. You kind of like say, I mean, look how, how they did it, you know, and like, you know, the Baroque age. And, and then maybe you go to Berlin, you know, and you're thinking, oh, man, look at the architecture, you know, or you're interested really in food, you know, right. but that, that curiosity is your, is your door to life. And if that curiosity dries up, you, you probably dealing with some kind of a burnout or depression because your, your door to life is closing. You're not looking at Hong Kong. Suddenly Hong Kong is just a big gray city or Berlin or, or, or Venice is just kind of old, you know, <laughs> you need to have that spark, you know? And that, for me, it was always, it was really the lighting, you know? Right. I, I, I mean, I, I always loved women. It's true. Maybe that comes from that sort of like Hollywood ish mythology, and I really, I really think it's fascinating how light is changing the reality of things. You know, if it's a, you know, I mean, I don't, I can give you the dumbest example of a rainy or a sunny day, but things aren't the same, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Light has a big impact on mood as much as anything else. It's not just, yeah. I think a lot of people see light as being a technical thing that is almost like emotionless, but actually it has a huge sway on emotion. And, and I think if you watch a lot of, I mean, nowadays it's kind of hard in terms of movies because I feel like we're in a bit of a bit of a mixed age of of cinema because a lot of stuff is kind of products made to sell to people, and then there's a lot of great movies being made, but they're sometimes a little bit harder to find. But yeah, light has a huge impact on emotion. 
but that's it's that's a very strong point you're making there. Light is not um it's nothing else than than an emotional translation for you. Right. You know, you will not see the light. You don't see what it is. Again, you don't see things for who they are. You see things for the way you, you interpret them. And the lighting of it will be a huge matter of interpretation. And that even counts for the person. You know, you can light them in so many different ways. And they have a different character. They're different, they're different people, you know. Yeah. And obviously, there were certain times about like the Renaissance, you know, Caravaggio had a certain sense of lighting. And I think it's true. Hollywood created in, 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 in that particular time. They celebrated a certain sense of lighting. They they invented it. It wasn't there before, you know. I mean, movies only, you know, arrived in like whatever, like the late 19th century, you know, and they invented this type of like um, way of creating something, you know, and it's true. I somehow just emotionally really respond to it. You know, I mean, if if I have an hour, I watch a B movie, you know, somewhere, something, some old film and and tell you the truth i hate it sometimes i want to get out of it i want to be more cool i want to do something else but i just it's just not me man you know so in terms of subjects you know the work that i love of of yours is there's the stuff that really resonates with me is 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 that of actors actors and actresses and mm. i feel like we're in a bit of an interesting phase because we had the huge supermodel boom of the 90s and that has kind of completely dissipated into celebrities being models as opposed to models being celebrities. I feel like it's gone kind of the other way around where actors, uh, musicians, and then bizarre sort of idea of influencers, which I still don't really fully understand personally, but have become the models now. In terms of your position as a photographer on set, what's the difference between photographing someone who is, without wanting to sound derogatory, just a model? compared to photographing someone that's an actor or an actress? Well, I think, you know, there's just a different approach. A model is obviously more of a canvas. You you creating really your own scenario with her and her job is to sort of like um, to bring that to life, you know, and I think it would be more visual. See, and, and a good model will always bring something in it, I think, if you read her. But I think it will be more, you know, I think, you know, you will tell a story also in that sense more through appearance. Right. And I think it's true. It's always surprising. The, the, the reason why good actors are good actors is because they are they having that um, charisma. And that is bringing something to the set that is very dominating for your story, you know? But um, again, if you sort of interpret it, you can create your story around it. You know, if you have Tom Cruise in a film or Charlize Theron, there's always a large part that it's Charlize or Tom, yeah. you know? And then you have your scenario, you know, patched up with it. And hopefully if these two mix, it could be a very incredibly beautiful uh, synthesis, you know? Yeah. And I think, with the model, you will not have these strong counterparts between story and character, you know, because she will blend in more. But I think you have, like I said, you have a larger space of a canvas, which is, you know, like I said, maybe you just want to do something more abstract. Maybe it's not just about that character. Maybe you want to, you know, you want to hit things. You want to be more... Um, symbolic about something you know it's very hard to be to to take like a, a, a symbolic shot 
that is just suggesting something when you have when you do it with John Malkovich because it's 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 a shot of John Malkovich. Yeah, you know. So I think it's it's and I think it's true. The, the thing is, to, like lately, you know, but I think it's also the interesting thing is what you say. Models wanted to be celebrities, but celebrities always wanted to be shot like models. You know, yeah. that was sort of like the, the late thing. All the celebrities want the Vogue covers and do the perfume ads and, you know, all the women want to, you know, if you tell a girl that I'm going to shoot you like a Victoria's Secret five years ago, every actress would be like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go for that concept, you know? So it was also kind of a flattering, you know, it was a flattering idea. Where at the same time, if you go to a model and you said, I shoot you like a Hollywood star, they're like, oh great, I love that. Do you think we're missing the supermodels now? Yeah, because I think what we're missing, uh, Christopher, is the mystery. The wonder is gone. And I think if you dissect it too much, in the 1940s and 50s, when this, you know, I, I think, you know, look, how do I say that? Um, a celebrity is not a person. A celebrity is a desire. There is a longing for something. He's, he's having a function in your life about, um, about a void. Mm -hmm. And if you see when, when celebrity were invented, uh, like in the 1920s, it, you know, it was, it, there was the first sort of like, you know, Rudolph Valentino, um, you know, Mary, you know, uh, Mary Pickford. It's coming from the, the great American depression people had nothing and they were projecting on these stars. You know, the idea of the star system really started to work during the American uh, depression and, and, you know, similar Weimarer Republic in Germany and all that. And then you see also another, another really like boom of it seriously, obviously just came again in the 1940s and fifties, you know, when we had this post-war idea, you know? So I think you have to see that again, a little bit what I, what I said before about subjects in general, but I think we also have to have to be clear about that the idea of a celebrity, you know, is that they're a part of you, but they're just a little better. They're just that one thing in you that you can never be. And I think that's why they're becoming they're coming alive in us. We imagine ourselves as these. And I think a model is a very clever thing because celebrities, uh, you know, obviously some of them killed themselves. Some of them went haywire with the model. You just create a celebrity where you have a lot more control. They're more exchangeable, you know? Right. And I think also you can see, for example, Hollywood found out with Rudolph Valentino when he killed him, when, when he killed himself or when he died, I don't know. I think he killed himself, right? Um, that it doesn't really, with James Dean, it doesn't really matter if a star is dead or alive, you know? It, it, there's no difference. People still think he's great. And they, they thought with James Dean, for example, and also with Valentino, that the movies they already made, nobody's going to watch them. Why would people watch a dead person? And then they found out there's no difference. An opposite, an, an, an image of a dead person is almost easier to control. Yeah. You know, and I think the idea of a model is always, you know, they're very easy to control, yet they've been told what to do. They've been easier to, uh, they've been more disposable. You know, if a model makes a problem, you can just book another one, you know, which is much harder with Elvis or with, uh, you know, Marlon Brando, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I will steer this back towards photography, but this is just so fascinating. With, with social media, everybody, I, I literally had someone uh, last week who I don't know message me about a conversation I was having on the podcast about social media and they referred to themselves as their own brand. Now this mm. is a, this is this person that messaged me has 
don't know, a couple hundred followers. So not like a big influencer by any sort of metric, but they still refer to themselves as a brand as opposed to a human being. Is this sort of, it feels like a bit of a desperation for people to be celebrities from pretty much everywhere. Does that kind of take away the the gloss of of celebrities in general if everybody can consider themselves one via social media yeah i mean like i said for me it it it's it it's a complete uh, like it's a demolition of the idea of a celebrity you know because i mean i think also and i think it's an exhausting demolition because before like i said um celebrities were you know, people in Hollywood, they were very far away. We didn't know anything about them. We didn't want to know what they have for breakfast and, and you know, how, they, how their toilet looks like, you yeah. know, and how their bathroom, you know. And, um, and I think with this complete demystification of, of the celebrity, um, like I said, you, you almost make them too concrete. You give it, you know, look, look at people like Marilyn or, you know, I mean, to, to a certain point, you can even use people like a Churchill is a celebrity. You know, Stalin, I mean, you know, like, or whatever. JFK was a celebrity. Yeah. These people are very, like, they're very mysterious. And the more mysterious somebody is, the more large of a projection surface he's for all of us. So I think these celebrities, I think it's true. There's kind of like a narcissistic, I think we're in a very narcissistic kind of like moment right now. And I think it's funny how these Andy Warhol-ish kind of like prediction that we're all going to be famous for 15 minutes. Mm. But what is it, what, you know, what do we do then after half an hour? It's true. What's, what's going to happen <laughs> for all these people, you know? Yeah. It's a weird situation where people can feel entitled to other people's attention. Like I've, that's, that's the amazing thing with mobile phones and with social media in general. It's just this idea that yeah. you are deserving of someone else's time almost as a, an inherent right. Exactly. And if you reverse that, you also see the, the, the fear of not having it, you know, yeah. and the desperation behind it. But look, I mean, from a photographic point of view, since this is sort of like what we talk about, I think there's another huge kind of like, you know, let's say a level that needs to be thought about, which is archives, you know, I mean, from, from your grandmother to, like I said, Mary Pickford, the amount of images existing of these people was a negative. It was limited, Mm. you know, today, I think the number is um, that in two hours, more pictures are shot than in the first 150 years of photography combined. Now, and I'm not just talking about the incredibly quality that was shot in the 150 years of photography. We're talking Edward Weston, Edward Steichen, you know, to Richard Avedon, and to Irvin Penn. I mean, we also talking about the quantity. Who's going to archive all these pictures? They, they're meaningless. These celebrities today have not just a short shelf life. They will not be remembered because nobody's going to have a hard drive to collect millions and millions of TikTok videos and images <laughs> and, and, and cat videos of them, you know, or like selfies. It's not, it's, I have no idea how this, how do we going to look back at this in 20 years? You know, because if you think about it, you know, your grandmother probably had 15, 20 pictures taken of herself in her life. You know, yeah. one when she was a baby, one when she had a graduation, maybe in between something, you know, maybe some birthday shots one day on the beach. But, you know, I mean, and these pictures were in a box and they were iconic. They were part of family history. You know, how are the grandmothers of the 2030, you know, with millions of photographs in more or less also see my embarrassing, like lame situations. 
where's this going to go? Yeah. You know, because I think physically, literally, just purely from a technical point of view, we do not have the resources to store all these photographs. Nobody does. You change your iPhone two, two times and you, you're throwing away 40, 50,000 photographs, maybe more. You know, I have, you know, when you talk about these people, they maybe have 100 followers. But I tell you, when you go on their phone, they have 150,000 pictures on their phone. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not good maths, whichever way you look at it. <laughs> you no, know, it doesn't add up. Um, okay. So can I ask about um, a couple of specific people that you photographed? Because I'm fascinated by a couple of subjects in particular. There's, there's uh, just I could probably do this for hours and I definitely don't want to do that to you but there's a couple people in particular I'd really like to pick out one in particular who is someone who I find fascinating and I feel like doesn't I don't know I don't know if they don't get the esteem or the the respect they deserve from the general public as much as they should but Mila Jovovich yeah so yourself Peter Lindbergh Rankin Ellen Von Unworth have all produced amazing images and there's, there's got to be more than that of, of Mila. And what is it that she does that is so, she's got so much charisma and so much interest in the photo. What, what is it about Mila that makes her such a fantastic subject? You know, I mean, I tell you, Christopher, if, if I had an answer, the Kardashians would have already kind of like made a business out of it, you know, <laughs> and they would have probably sold it to people. It's, there is a very fascinating thing that, um, there's people, they, they have this connection with the camera, you know, and I think we all sort of like thought about it and, you know, there is, you know, I, I honestly, I saw this just, you know, a while ago, I saw this documentary of Marilyn, you know, and I think this one was actually pretty fascinating because somehow, you know, there's all these lame documentaries of Marilyn, but this one interviewed a lot of people that they actually made her career, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and it was, there was apparently one guy, I think Marilyn had different affairs with different men who could be helpful for her, very kind of like Hollywood style. And there was one guy who kind of invented her name and kind of like, you know, registered it and gave her some advice. I mean, it was just like they invented this idea and, and, you know, Marilyn was a fairly short girl and she just, you know, and what he said is that he said, you know what, some people just come alive in the box. And some people die in the box, you know, and the box has its own logic box, meaning the camera, you know, there's quite a beautiful line from a a French movie called Vie Privée, who's kind of a little bit biographical in the, in the widest sense about Brigitte Bardot. And, you know, she plays the role of a young dancer and eventually somebody does some kind of like screen test of her. And when they do that, it's quite, it's quite well done because they show her, as a close-up, and then the camera pans out, and then you see the ca- her, her frame in the camera, in the camera. And there's a voice that says, something happened between her and the machine. And that's really what it is. I mean, with some people, on very different levels, because I think Mila, for example, has a dark side and a strong, very masculine side, you know, in front of the camera. And she's, she's able to explore that. And Giselle has a very different side in front of the camera and it also works, you know, but I think these people, again, um, they be able to express something that connects with our longings. And I think I met the most beautiful women um, and on camera, there's just nothing there. They're just pretty, you know, there's nothing speaks to you. And often, um, sometimes I come into a studio and when, then you, you see these people in the morning, 
you know, and they got some little bit greasy skin and they got, they just washed, they, they got the wet hair and you're thinking, I mean, you know, without naming names, but you work with, I worked with, you know, Oscar winning Hollywood actors. But when you come into the dressing room in the morning, you're thinking, I don't know how the others did it, but this is not going to be easy, you know? And you really, you really panic. Right. And then in front of the camera, there is a life, a spark coming and, and it's something coming from these people. It's insane, you know, and, and nobody knows where it comes from. Give you a quick anecdote. I used to, I, I was booked on a job in Madrid to shoot Penelope Cruz. And, you know, I did a, I did a lighting test and I had these really beautiful, um, a flamenco dancer, you, you know, whatever, just to kind of like check the light and to, to not to waste Penelope's time. That was okay. It was a little blend and, you know, and, and, you know, but again, like a, a really like a stunning woman. And then, you know, whatever, she, she switched and Penelope walked in, but the picture was nowhere near the same. She owns that frame, you know, like her whole attitude. She, it's hers, you know? And, uh, and when you see cinema, you will see that sometimes when there's a scene with maybe 10, 15, sometimes a hundred people, you know, but you will look at one person, you gone, you will look at whatever Sean Connery, you know, in that James Bond scene, when whatever, there's like a, a parade and there's 50 people like running left and right. But you look at Sean, he is the one who gets the magic, you know? Yeah. And it's, I, and I think we all, like I said, I think, you know, it's a bit like a question, what is real beauty? I've been often asked questions about beauty, you know, but I think we have to, again, we have to leave things with a mystery. We like to explain things. We like to, but if you explain something again, you always want to control it and conquer it and own it and market it and, 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 you know, make it useful for you. And thank God, like this didn't work yet. We couldn't really, we tried to market a beauty with standards all over the place, but we still can't really explain it. You know what I mean? And I think it's the same thing for, for photogenic charisma, you know? Well, I, I'm not a fan of the word talented because I think that there's an implication with the word talented that it's somehow inherited through genetics or, or whatever. Yeah. It's not something that you've actually worked on. And, and there's that like expression about hard work beats talent. Well, I, th I think people can be talented because of their hard work. So I don't mean talented in a, any kind of derogatory sense here, but you're an incredibly talented photographer. You have a, a, a incredible body of work. And when you work with, say, someone like you mentioned Charlize Theron or Monica Belushi, I'm not a talented photographer in the slightest. I'm, I'm just someone that enjoys using a camera and is desperately trying to get good at it. But I can do portrait shoots with someone and it just clicks and they're fantastic at what they do. So they make my job very easy. And it's yeah. almost like shooting fish in a barrel. It's it's almost too easy to get something that you want out of the out of the shoot. When someone of of your sort of stature works with someone like Charlie Theron or Monica Monica Bellucci, is it not almost too easy? I mean, it's no, because it's it's really like shooting out of a moving train because already the conditions are so hard. You know, I worked with some movie stars. And in the evening, I was looking at the hotel walls and I was thinking, how do people make a, a, a six month movie with this? How do they survive? <laughs> it's emotionally so draining. There is so much insecurity, you know, and okay. there is 
there is agents and and just you know like i said just the framework around it until you get there until it's okay until the that that you know the person the the pas of these girls you know the management you know what you can wear what they can do and then it's them and then they don't feel good that day and you know it's i tell you it's 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 pretty on the other side the bar is really really high you know, I mean, um, for example, you know, when I shot uh, Scarlett Johansson, you know, everybody's like, wow, my God, you're going to shoot Scarlett Johansson. But when I shot her, she was already pregnant. She didn't feel great that day. She actually came from the hospital to the studio because she had these morning sicknesses, you know, and she was not into it, which is understandable. She was pregnant. She had other things on her mind, but she committed to the shoot and I had to make the best out of it. And sometimes, and you know, yeah, it's Scarlet, you know, but it also means that people say, show me what you got, you know. Right. And then there's also two things, Christopher, um, as a photographer, you can always cater to the appearance. You can cater to the obvious. You can make a sexy, naked girl look sexy, you know. But what's it going to, what's the story you're telling with that? You know, mm -hmm. what's the story making a naked girl sexy? You know, you know, it, like, you know, your hamster can do it. So it's not necessarily what you signed up for. <laughs> and then I think the question is how do you create another level of this? How do you, how do you make it your picture of Monica? You know, how do you make it a picture that is, is recognizable? How do you define that shot as your movie, your, your imagination. Again, how, you know, a lot of people shot her, you know, how do you, when that picture later is, how do you say that? But I, that was my interpretation of the day because you don't have, you know, 55, you know, uh, 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 trials with these people. Maybe you meet them, you know, once or three times in your life, you know? Yeah. So, and it's not just that one, one thing, you know, like I was, you know, I worked for example with Monica Bellucci over the years but she's changing, you know, when I met her, she had her first daughter and, and I think the daughter was like not even a year old, you know, maybe like eight, nine months. And, and then I shot her with a second kid. I shot her when she was pregnant. I shot her after and before the, the separation from her boyfriend or husband, they going through different things and they sometimes think they are forever, but you also see them changing and you see that at a certain point, they look more like that. And, and you have to capture it somehow, you know, when you look at women like Romy Schneider or most movie stars, you know, you're documenting part of their life, yeah. you know? So I do think, um, yes, you've been given a lot, you know, but it's like, you better know what to do with it. And, and you have to really control the circumstances and it doesn't always work, you know, because you always have little time. They always want to, they always want to rather leave than stay. You know, they're not coming to the shoot and say, oh, my God, you know, I, I could spend three days here. For them, it's a press kind of like, you know, arrangement. You know, they have to shoot a cover. They have to do a, a they have to promote a movie. This thing needs to get done. Right. If I could change gears a little bit, then um, you do some directing of, you know, of movement, essentially, compared to photography, which is much more static. How are you different in terms of your directional approach? from directing video compared to photography? It's very different. I was trying to do both in one day, but it's very different because one thing is, it's really, um, 
a photograph needs to contain everything in itself. And you don't really tell people how long they're going to look at a photograph. It could be one second. It could be 10 minutes, you know, with a, with a film, you know, you, it's, it, it, you tell a story by putting different images in a juxtaposition, you know, and there needs to be a value in the shot. There needs to be a positive or negative. And I think if you don't have that, it's boring. And I think most are most like fashion photography, many people who just do short little films, they just want to have beautiful images and they think, oh, man, I'm just going to extend my pictures. But it's the same thing as, a mo as every model I know think that she can just be an actress. And you're like, no, because, you know, people need a lot more than when they want to watch you for an hour and a half or longer than when, I, when, they, when they pass by a billboard and they said, I want to go out with you. You know, yeah. there's just, there's more the emotional process, the demands of a film, because you want to keep people's attention a lot higher, you know? So you have to really think story and it's not just about aesthetics, you know, but again, it's a good training because me, I like to think story whenever I shoot my films or my, my photography, mm. you know, but, um, it's a different animal and I think it's not to be, it's not to be mixed up. And I think, like I said, I know so many girls, they really good models, really, really good models, you know? And I think they all experience the transition to film as a lot more complex than you do because um, you, you need to stimulate curiosity and ambiguity and a model, a photograph's ambiguity works on very different levels because it has to be in the shot. It doesn't have to happen right after you know yeah so i mean the the approach has to be different but in terms of the actual execution as well is it not also the case that when you're directing you're you're collaborating a lot more you're you're relying on a lot of other moving parts to work with you as opposed to photography which can be done pretty much in a one to one basis yeah i mean like when i'm when i'm doing when i'm directing i'm not i'm not doing the camera i sometimes do one of the cameras but I also felt that it, it feel because I like to do it, but I also feel it's very distracting when you're directing, you really need to step back and you, you, you watch it from far, you know, and you have to take a different levels of control. You know, like I said, when I, um, but I, you know, like I said, there's, there's so many different approaches to this. When you, you know, I listen a lot to, to, um, interviews, for example, from directors that I find fascinating because like my influence from cinema is so strong, but you know, one tells you, you, you really need to improvise. And the other one tells you, well, no improvisation will ever be better than what the writer, you know, what the writer came up with. Yeah. So stick to the script. You know, Sidney Lumet says, I've never seen an actor that's a better writer than the writer that I hired. You know, and I think, you know, well, that's probably a point, you know, and then the other ones do a lot of ad lib because they said, no, I just wanted to, to happen out of the conditions, you know, and, and some people do 50 takes because they say, I want you to sit in this chair, like you sit in this chair a thousand times, you know, yeah. but uh, you know, films are always closer to the human condition. I come from a fashion background. And I'm slowly having to work myself out of that aesthetic sugarcoating things, you know. I mean, do you look at the work of, like, in terms of cinema, uh, like Nocturnal Animals, which was directed by Tom Ford? Do you mm. look at do you look at work like that and see that as the kind of a, a a good future for cinema in terms of people coming across from non cinematic? I don't want to say non cinematic backgrounds, but they they specialize in something else and they bring something different to cinema as opposed to 
cinema being very homogenous and very sort of cyclical in that you work in cinema, you produce films, it, it's, it kind of becomes maybe a bit stagnant. Yeah, I mean, I think the outside influences are good, but if, if I watch Tom Ford's movies, to me, they're incredibly fashionable, stylized. And I think that the character always, I mean, if you look at um, uh, A Simple Man and you look at uh, um, um, the hairstyle from, give me the name, of the redhead. Oh, uh, yeah, you caught me off guard as well. Julian Moore. Julian Moore, that's it. And I think it's true. It's a reference. It's a great reference for fashion. But for me, it looks like a fashion editorial, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's stories some inside. But like I said, you know, I mean, he had the means and, and the idea. And I'm, I, I think it works to a certain way. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's, you know, it's not Martin Scorsese. You know, it, it, it really lives through the story. You know, yeah. it's really about the, the, you know, good cinema is really about the human condition. I think to a certain point, good photography is about the human condition. But then again, you know, in fashion, you, it's a theater, you know, and, and I think that theater can have certain, um, let's say, uh, um, it has certain uh, caprice, you know, like moods. It can swing and it can be very surrealistic. It can be sarcastic. It can be grotesque. And it's interesting to watch. But I think, you know, will it, will it really stay with you? I think that's what I wonder, you know? Right, right. And I think what, what matters so much in any photograph, and even in a movie, but I think the rule for photography that, you know, what matters is not what you see when you look at the picture, what matters is the feeling you walk away with, what, what something stays in you. And that's what communication is all about. And in the end, what we're talking about here is all communication, you know, and I think you can be visually impressed and overwhelmed. You can, you can watch a great film, especially right now with all these effects and superhero movies. And, and I think it can be very entertaining. But in the end, it didn't, you know, when it's over, it's over. It doesn't really connect with you. You know, maybe, you know, like there's some whatever James Bond movies, they're incredibly, you, you wouldn't walk out five minutes before it's over, you know, some action movies. But mm-hmm. when it's over, you don't, it, you don't take anything from it, you know? Yeah. So I think what you take from anything um, in the end, that's what that, that maybe become part of your emotional landscape. I think there's movies that really become part of your personal, you know, subconscious landscape, you know, yeah. like I said, that maybe the mythology, maybe, you know, the way, the way it's been done, the way the, the countries, you know, maybe the characters, you, you identify yourself with them and maybe unconsciously even copy them or, or, or long about them, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, there's someone that categorically hates comic book movies. I'm with you a hundred percent. But I think, yeah, it's, it's the communication part is, is kind of profound because you don't, I think a lot of people think of, especially photography as being just an aesthetic. And I think I've been incredibly guilty of that. It's, it's just an aesthetic and, and to, to learn to communicate with it is actually probably significantly harder than, than anything technical that you could learn to do with a camera. Yeah, but you see, you know, communication is always an, an, an emotional thing. I give you an example from art, um, which I think it's, it's maybe that fits. Um, look, there's a painting from René Magritte, a surrealist. I think, you know, maybe let's say, you know, early 20th century. And it's a, it's a painting of a pipe. And it just says, this is not a pipe. Okay, so what does he mean? It's not a pipe. It's a picture of a pipe. 
it's a, it's it's an interpretation of a pipe. It's his interpretation of a pipe. But then again, it's what we known as a pipe, so we think it is a pipe. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So I think he makes a very good point here in saying what you see is not what it is. It's just a representation of it. And that representation has been emotionally digested and interpreted by the artists. So, you know, it's suggesting you, it's, it's stimulating you somehow with something. But, you know, you can, you can write under my photograph for Monica Bellucci, this is not Monica Bellucci. You know, people be like, well, what do you mean? This is Monica. I'm mm -hmm. like, no, it's not Monica. This is a picture of Monica. And this is a picture I took on Thursday, you know, at, at 2.15 p.m. with my interpretation, my hair, my makeup, my angles, my lighting, you know? Yeah. Is it Monica? Somehow, yes. But it's not Monica. No, she's not there. She could be, when, when, you, when you meet her in a cafe, it's a completely different person. And I think within that, um, within that emotional interpretation, I think that is really what defines the artistic process or, or communication in general, we, we mistaking what we see for what, what it is, you know? Yeah. And, and modern art, like since 150 years, tries to make the point that it said, no, it's, 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 this is not what it is. This is what I made of it. You know, this is what, this is what, what made, what it, what it made me feel. Yeah. Well, I saw an interview a while, quite a while ago now, I think probably pre pandemic. So about a hundred years ago, where Margot Robbie said that she hates when she goes to a photo shoot and they say to be herself. She doesn't want to be herself. She didn't become an actor to be herself. She wants to be given a role to play. Yeah. And you know what? A lot of actors will tell you that. Uh, so this is what I wanted to ask you is, is that a common thing for you? Do you get asked to like give a role on a photo shoot? Yeah. And that's why for me, it's often easier to work with women than with men because they don't want to be themselves, you know? And I think if you have a script, it's very easy for them, you know, and then they, they, they work themselves into a certain character, you know, and tell them, okay, look, you slam the door, you kind of annoyed, you are this person, you're not yourself. And they're enjoying that, you know, it's child's play, you know, they, they, you know, like, like I said, we would just talked about James Bond or any other way. These people pretending to save the world. It's like five-year-olds, you know, but they're loving it. It's an enjoyable process, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to be a bit of a kid to walk around in front of a camera and fight some like muscle guy and say, oh, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. It's a very childish thing to do for an actor, you know, but right. I think it's true. It, 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 and if you have a photograph, it's more difficult because they are more confronted with who they are, you know, mm. and and men don't really men are not that playful with the camera. You know, they want to be more cool, but it brings them closer to who they are. And. And it makes all of us more nervous. Like I said, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes surprised that even the most media pro actors or celebrities, they, they know the violence of the camera. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the, um, the fear or the, the, that, that, um, that idea that hangs over us if we the way we see ourselves is really who we are or do other people see ourselves very different and maybe what we see in the mirror is not really who we are it's just what we think we are i think that fear carries itself through through the whole um history of photography because suddenly there is kind of like what has been defined as a realistic document and when you think about you know Obviously, you know, taking a black and white portrait, self-portrait, maybe 20 years ago, 10 years ago, was still, you know, 
very much defined. But today you just turn your phone around and boom, you see yourself and you're thinking, oh man, I look horrible today, you know? <laughs> and I think the constant confrontation with who you are, is, it's deeply changing your, your, your psychological sense of how do you define yourself in this world. You know? Yeah. So, so for you then, I mean, I know that I'm, I can't draw from my own experience because I certainly haven't done what you've done. But do you find that you are a different person on set? Like, do you, are you, do you play a role compared to who you are when you're at home um, not being a photographer? I think we always have a certain social code that we're employing, but I, I wish I would have. I, honestly, I think, you know, I sort of played this better. I was, I'm, you know, I'm very focused on my work. If you play music, I wouldn't know what has been, what been played. You know, I'm very like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very focused on, on my angles. I think if you're a photographer and you are, so you know, when you, when you're taking a picture, the hair, the light, the makeup, the, you know, the, the, the angle, you know, something doesn't work out. The shoulder looks awkward. You have to watch so many things, you know, and sometimes the face is so beautiful. And then you, you kind of like look at the lower part of the frame and suddenly you feel that the hand was not good. You know, it was kind of like a claw and you're like, fuck man, I can't use the shot because you know, the hand was not relaxed. And then you have to kind of like try to recreate that beautiful face that was just right there in the light again, because it said something to you. It had this little bit like almost religious moment of like, you know, of, of, corresponding with the light and um i don't know like i said i mean you, you probably have to ask somebody else you know i guess it's yeah. the same way of like you know if you go on a first date and you kind of try to be yourself but the more you try the less it probably works you know yeah yeah i mean you can't really try to be who you are because then you're influencing it i, I can't tell you how much i appreciate the time that you've taken to do this i've got two questions left and i promise i'll leave you in peace You've already kind of touched upon one thing near the beginning, which was that point where you drove towards commercial work and you left behind personal work for a while and you kind of threw yourself with a, sounded like a decent amount of spite towards doing things that made money as opposed to things that were more artistically inclined for yourself. Um, at, at this point in your career, like today, what is the importance of personal work to you and like how much of your work is personal? I say my work shifted majorly. Um, I think, you know, what's funny actually, because you mentioned social media, I was just, um, probably what you know from me, most of it is almost all personal because I started to do this Instagram thing really just because I was a little frustrated the way my work was printed and it was edited and it was often the pictures that I really liked were left out and unpublished or, you know, I was not happy with the layout. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to do this Instagram thing. I heard about few people doing it. You know, somebody told me about it in New York and I said, Hey, you know, I can just show my pictures the way I am. And, uh, you know, like the way, and then at the same time I started publishing books, you know, but it was really just about a, a certain frustration of having a, like maybe that, that general artist fear that the way people perceive you is not really what you want to communicate, you know, because it's obvious, because obviously you get paid for it, you know, and, and then other people take over the power, you know, like a, like a movie where you don't have director's cut, you know, and it's been edited by others, you know, and, um, and, somehow then this Instagram thing got so big, you know, and I think today hardly anybody looks at websites. Nobody looks at magazines anymore and I'm still publishing books and I'm very happy with it. But, um, I think most of the people know me through Instagram and, and I, I, at some point I put this line on top of my account and I said, this is personal. I mean, you just need to remember that, you know, 
but in a way, you know, it's, it's really what I like to do, you know? So I corner myself again with this old artistic demon on my, on my shoulder that I know photography is also a service is also something that you solve. I like, I, I don't mind commercial photography. It's not a dirty word for me. It's interesting. You know, it got me a lot of access, you know, and, um, I don't mind doing it, you know, because, you know, like I said, you, you, you've been confronted with a certain, um, assignment, you know, <laughs> but I think, you know, we both know that magazine photography is completely breaking apart right now, which is a whole other subject to discuss, you know, yeah. which, which I think is very dramatic because I think it was, it was really an art form. Like I said, and what I mentioned before, I think people don't realize, um, that digital photography is not archivable, you know, in not in the amount of the way it's been used, who's going to do the selection. So, you know, there's, there's been major changes in photography that are happening as we speak, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, also you have to say those bigger photographers um, you talked about, you know, Lindbergh or Newton or Avedon, they all had a very strict business model through the entire career. Most of them, you know, they turned almost 90 years old, but, it was the Condé Nast system. You know, sometimes they shot a little bit more Vogue or Bazaar and sometimes they shot a little bit less, but that was always the benchmark, you know? And today nobody really cares if you shoot for Vogue, you know, because there's much better channels to, uh, to distribute, you know, but then these channels are not regulated and, and they have no production means. And, you know, they might have, they might have very different interests, you know, they might be interested in your information and not even in the photographs, you know? Yeah. So, well, I think mar markets fluctuate, right, based on technology a lot of the times. Like technology improves and people think anything that isn't the most up-to-date technology automatically falls by the wayside and is no longer valuable in the slightest. And then I guess like what we've seen with film photography in the last five years, what we've seen with vinyl in music in the last few years, and I think film in cinema is starting to, starting to see this as well, is people realise, oh, there's actually value to stuff that isn't the most recent technology for reasons beyond just ease of use and convenience and perhaps... And commercial pressure, you know, because I yeah. mean, if you walked five years ago, if an agent says, oh yeah, my photographer shoots digital and it's all really great. And he's like top of the line. Nobody asked about, yeah, but how many Mac does his image really have? What's the information? You know, no, no creative director or no, no, like, you know, um, no person in the advertising agency, you know, was aware that his images from, from like, let's say seven years ago, the resolution was really terrible. Mm. You know, these images are complete. If I would have shot, you know, you mentioned Monica Bellucci. I think I shot some of the last nudes from Monica, you know, because then she had the second child and she kind of like stopped doing it. If I would have had those images on, on digital, I mean, they had 15 Mac, maybe, you know, I would have not even be able to do a, a, a you know, a magazine size print of it today because, you know, it was pixelated. Yeah. So I think, you know, we also been through a lot, but I think in our market in, in, in the fashion, you know, you, you always, because we're all freelancers and we're always so afraid, afraid that we constantly feel the pressure of, um, there's a term that I really like, uh, it's, it called dynamic stabilization. And I think what it means is very much related also today for the, for the Instagram, what doesn't grow, um, can't remain. That means you cannot be who you are. You know, you constantly have to, 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 uh, uh, to post growth. So a mm -hmm. photographer who doesn't update his website, who doesn't have new followers, 
you know, is, 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 has constantly the fear of falling behind, you know, and, uh, but it's the same for a country, you know, it's the same for the, 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 you know, if, if, if Japan doesn't have growth, if Greece doesn't have growth, you know, like, okay, they're going to run in trouble, you know, they're not going to, you know, and then they have to post even more growth the next year because, you know, they, they're not going to be able to pay the pensions and, and maybe not whatever, you know, uh, the whole social system is going to be in dire. So I think we're living in a general social system where, you can't remain what it is only growth justifies um the existence which puts a huge pressure on us and you can see a tech technology you constantly need in your phone and we photographers constantly need an update right now i shoot a lot of pictures with my dad's camera you know and people probably realized in the industry that you don't make a lot of money if photographers use the camera from their fathers, you know, yeah. well, the pictures are technically, they're perfect. I mean, you probably shoot digital, you know, how many updates you need on your, on your cameras, you know, how much software do you need? Mm -hmm. You know, how long does it last until you need to buy a new one? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the problem with putting your hands in or putting your faith in the hands of people that create new technology is that, they're incentivized to constantly replace something as quickly as possible to make as much money. So yeah, it's, it's, mm, it's an interesting, I think we're at a quite an interesting point in history with, with art and photography in general, because I feel like we've, we're trying as it's, we're in a very strange time. This is way too big of a point to make towards the end of a podcast. Cause I think this is something that could, you could educate me on for an hour, but it feels like we're at this weird junction where everybody's anti-capitalist, but also everyone's trying to, commercialize every aspect of every part of their life so yeah which is a bit like the general idea of digitalization you know i mean i think you know you're not going to find one politician that's against that's not going to tell you that we're going to go more digital on the other side all of us are happy if we walk into a bank and we kind of like get a real person on the phone somewhere you mm. know? but yeah. let me tell you one last thing about the digital thing because i do think it's an interesting or an important point to make in photography um if you change, because people just say, oh, you know, it's just a digital camera, you know, it's the same thing, you know, just shoot the same girl, use the same light. But if you change the procedure that much, you will also change the result. And you will not take the same picture in digital, you take an analog. And I give you the same thing in another example. Um, if you write a letter, you will... And, and you're just writing the same person and you're having the same thoughts and you have the option to shoot a, to use a text message or even an email, it will not be the same words and you will express yourself differently. And also the return from that person, because it's more immediate, will be very different than if you have to write a letter, kind of like put it in an envelope, go to the post office, you know, wait, wait a week until you get something back. If you do get something back, but if you, if you, you know, and I do think analog photography is more of writing a letter because you're not aware of the immediate results. You need to send it off. It takes time, you know, and that time in that time, something happens in time. Always something happens, you know, and if you take time away, um, it's a different process. So digital photography didn't change photography. Technically, it changed photography aesthetically and emotionally. You know, and I don't know if it changed for the better, if you ask me, but, you know, I might have a bit of a radical view on that because I don't think microwaved uh, food went for the better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's, yeah, that's the comparison right there. All right. So last question, 
And um, I'm really hoping I don't put you in too much of a corner with this one, but I feel like this is a bit of a fun one to end on. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Okay, so let's say right now, for whatever reason, I have the ability to tell you that tomorrow will be the last day that you'll ever do photography. Now, you can carry on taking pictures of like family and friends and so on from then on, but your last ever photo shoot is tomorrow, and oh. you can only pick one person who you've already photographed. Who would you pick? I can have everyone. No. Uh, it's <laughs> I don't know, because like I said, I mean, time moved on, you know. I, you know what? I was in... I was in, in May or June. I was in LA for a while because of this whole Corona situation. And, um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was working with Adriana Lima in Hollywood and it's true. I, I love taking pictures of her, you know, now I've done it every time I tell my agent or anybody who knows me, it's like, Oh yeah, you shot Adriana again. I'm like, come on guy. I mean, you know, how can you, you go to Hitchcock and you said, Oh, you're shooting Grace Kelly again. Oh yeah. What's that going to be like? You know, you're another blonde. But I think she, she, I get, I get the photo, I get often with her, I get the photograph I really like to take, you know, and even, you know, it's not an easy one to get in front of the camera anymore, but you know, it's true. I, I, I loved, I loved working with Monica, you know, but then again, you know, Monica right now, it's a different Monica than the one I met 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, when she was jumping around naked on the beach. Now she's a mom of two more or less grown children, you know, and her daughter is kind of like becoming a model. Yeah. So there's, there's processes, you know, so, you know, like I said, photography in many ways is so related to the time, the time itself. I'm not the same person either. I used to be when, you know, I was with Monica on the beach of Biarritz, you know, but um, maybe also sometimes you idolize certain, certain time periods, but um, there's there's definitely people I like to photograph, but if you ask me from the ones I already shot, I would like to shoot maybe um, Scarlet again because there's some shots I really like, but I think it was a difficult day for both of us, and I think I kind of like botched it a little bit, you know. So, well, I mean, it's, it's a horrible. You, you're putting a horrible idea in my mind that I could never take another picture. It's, it's like you know, <laughs> I'm a bad person. I do apologize. It's, it's just it's you know you know I tell you the truth. There was a time when. Um, there was a time when I was told, you know, when Polaroid disappeared and there was a time when we, it was kind of like up in the air if Kodak is going to continue doing film. Mm. And I was really, really asking myself, what am I going to do if film is not going to be produced anymore? Because I knew I wouldn't be a digital photographer. It's just not, I just can't, it's just, it doesn't emotionally, it doesn't speak to me. Where did you land on that? Where did you think you'd end up if, if film stopped? It was really a, a, a very difficult, you know, it was like having a major accident and really having to change your life. I was really worried about that. You know, I probably would have moved to film, you know, yeah. but um, again, it's, it's just a, a very frightening, it's kind of like asking you, what are you going to do when your home burns down, you mm-hmm. know, with all the memories and everything in it? you know where are you gonna go like you kind of like lose everything that you build up on you know somebody pulls the rock under your feet you know yes yeah, it's, it's um i, th- I think I, I think that i need to reevaluate the way that i end interviews because i feel like i'm being too much of a bully <laughs> no 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 you're, you're asking very interesting questions you know i like the conversation you know well, I, like I've said about a thousand times already that i just i'm so grateful that you took the time to do this and that you've you've given up what could have been a very good day to instead spend your time talking to someone like me. It's, it's so appreciated. 
No, Chris, I'm really, I mean, there's nothing better than, um, than sharing ideas about photography. That's what I live for. And you know what? I tell you one thing, no matter who you are, in, and I met a lot of people, they, they were maybe very, um, let's say they outranked others in, 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 in fame or, or attention or money. But I think you, the same rule applies to everyone. Um, and you know what, look, I'm just a photographer. I'm really nothing special. I'm just taking pictures, but never believe that you are what other people think you are. Then you're really losing it, you know? Right. So I think, you know, as long as, as long as you have a connection to yourself, you do not think that you are that person that other people think you are. Because again, what we said earlier, they may be projecting something on you that, you know, that is, is, is far from reality. So, you know, what, what better way to do? And, and sorry if I contradict you in that, then, um, you know, be talking about photography with somebody, you know, on a, on a gray winter day, you know, so. Well, I live um, in England. Every day pleasure. is a grey winter day, so that this is basically <laughs> a, a, how our summer looks. So it makes no difference. Uh, but so for, for the like three people that don't know where to find your work, where where's the best place that you'd like to send them to see it? Website, Instagram, and so on. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's probably Vincent Peters one. There, you have a pretty wide selection. Even though um, it's very painful for me that my photographs are the size of like you know a, a, a teaspoon. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, have a look at, you know, I just, I just did this book called, um, uh, uh, selected work, a collector's edition, you know, amazing I think, book, you know, really that, amazing that's, book. Uh, and I'm quite happy with the printing actually, even though, you know, it, it, there was quite a story behind this whole thing, but yeah, the book is out and, and it's, 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 that would be a, uh, my preferred way of, because it's tangible, yep. you know, I, and I think if, if, like I said, I guess, you know, we losing the sense of things being tangible today. But if you just want to have a quick look of what I do, yeah, look at it. Vincent Peters one on Instagram, you know, and definitely if you're a real photographer, check out vincentpetersstudio.com as well, because like you said, I, I'm, I'm kind of sick of looking at images that are the size of a teaspoon. Like if you're a real photographer, sit down, actually spend some time looking at photography rather than just swiping on your phone while you're supposed to be watching a film or something. Yeah. Uh, huge, 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 unbelievably huge thank you for you taking the time to do this. I can't thank you enough. No, no problem, Christopher. My pleasure, really.